Hello and welcome to Podcast of the Lotus Eaters, episode 694 on the 11th of July 2023. I am joined by Charlie. Pleasure to be here as always. Fantastic. Good. But a bit of housekeeping before we start. A um, couple of things. If you're a subscriber, which you are, if, because you're seeing this bit, um, we've got a lovely episode of Brokenomics coming up at three o'clock. It's going to be on the fourth turning, which is very interesting. Um, also, thank you to Neil, who who saw my P.O. Box thing and decided to send in this book, Vancor, which I'm very grateful I don't have a fat tongue when I said that. So thank you very much for, for sending that in. I've only got this about five minutes ago, so I haven't read it yet. And also to Leon, who sent us this 120-year-old book. So uh, appreciate it, guys. Very good. And um, yeah, yeah and well, thank, you, thank you for joining us, Charlie. So well, it's a pleasure to be here, as always. I just want to say, um, I knew I was not an economics guy before I watched started watching Brokenomics. It's really good stuff, so I'd recommend everybody watch it. If you're not a premium member, go for it, because it's, I mean, if, if only for that, I mean, alongside all the other stuff. But it's really good. Cause... So one of the reasons we really like Charlie is because he's very honest. So <laughs> so thank you, Charlie. That was uh, that was good. Excellent. Right. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I also need to apologise for the fact that um, uh, you, you lovely commenters um, gave me a hard time for my mic etiquette last week. So I'm going to be very well behaved this time right should we jump into the first segment which is going to be all about holland so holland is looking especially stunning and brave right now so actually i wanted to do a segment talking about holland the fall of the government Mm. um and some of the big bigger wef plans going on there but since holland story came up i couldn't help myself but um but make reference to this lovely creature who is the um, who is now um, Miss Netherlands? Yes, Miss Netherlands. Yes, Miss Netherlands. Now, no, so I have to warn you here, Charlie. Um, we're on a censorship platform. This goes out on, indeed. And we are not allowed to say anything negative about this about this person because we will get in a lot of trouble. And they are canning channels left, right, and centre for saying anything negative. So anything negative at all, like even just voicing an aesthetic opinion, let's say. I, I wouldn't that. risk it. I see. The okay. way I'm going to get around this one is um, we. I think we can still compare the winner to something else, mm. and then give our view on the something else. Yes. So, but we, we so we, we just can't say anything anything uh, negative about uh, this lovely Val- lady. Yeah, value free analysis. Yes, exactly. So, um, speaking of things that I can't say on this platform, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug for something we got on the uh, something on the platform, which is something something mark of the beast. So, um, if you're wondering why we're not talking about one of the biggest stories in the world right now. Um, we are. We're just not talking about it on the censorship platform. So you know, maybe you should head over to the to the website and check that out. Right. So um, yes. So we can't say anything negative about Miss Netherlands. But I decided the way we could get around this is by raiding my wood pile. So here's here's some wood. So yeah. Miss Miss Netherlands. No. No. Okay. But what about the runner-up? There we go. Wood. Wood. Wood for wood for the runner-up. Uh, what else have we got? Um, I think we got Miss Russia. We got that. Oh no! I don't need to. Yeah, here we go, Miss Russia. I think, I think, I think that, I think that's good. That gets a wood. Not into blondes myself. Oh really? Oh, okay. Well, I should I... say by the way, I'm a taken man, so I feel very, very. Oh okay. Well, uh, well as am I. As am I. So we can't go right. And and also some completely random Dutch girl that I found on Twitter. There we go. There we go. Oh, that's a blonde. Oh, you, you, yeah, you, you, you're going wood for the blonde, right? Yeah. So we can't say anything negative about the uh, the winner, who is of course an absolutely lovely. Lady, but um, but the other ones, by comparison, um, we think come out a little bit stronger, right? So now let's move on to what I actually wanted to talk about, which was the uh, the fall of the Dutch government. Mm. 
The Dutch are actually worth paying attention to, I reckon. Well, they seem to be on the kind of forefront of a lot of this sort of WEF stuff. And we saw, yeah. obviously, the Dutch farmers protest. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was oh, just, that's going to come up, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. But, um, you know, it seems they are something of a model for, um, yes. you know, other countries going forward. Well, I, I, no, I, I was thinking even broader than that, because, I mean, of course, America's the big cheese at the moment, mm. and China's about to be the big cheese. Mm. And before that, the British were the big cheese. But before the British, it was actually the Dutch. Of course. So yeah. I mean, they 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 are kind of a big thing. I mean, they they've um you know they they they've maybe not kept up quite the relevance in the recent years, but you know they 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 are they are worth paying attention to. Mm. And actually, the thing that I want to start this story on, because I'm I'm going to weave a bit before I get to the collapse of sure, the government, because yeah. I think there's a couple of things that lead into it. Um, I'm going to start with with this, which is the McKinsey and Company report into smart cities. Now. Is that something you've encountered, smart cities? I've heard of the concept. And yes. I mean, I mean, immediately I'm sceptical. So, I mean, everything is everything is smart. Well, it's, it's, it's different from the 15-minute cities because right. the 15-minute cities are basically taking the existing cities and then just, um, you know, making it so you can't leave. Mm. But these smart cities are something else. They're, well, I'll, I'll read from the McKinsey report so we, we get an idea what it is about. So um, this is from the report. Um, smart cities... Uh, is also about using technology and data purposefully to make better decisions and deliver a better quality of life. It finds that cities can use smart technology to improve some key quality of life indicators by 10 to 30%. Numbers that translate into lives saved, fewer crime incidents, shorter commutes and a reduced health burden and carbon emissions adverted. Establishing channels for two-way communication between the public and local agencies could make city governments more responsive. We're getting into the uh, mm. yeah, the dubious bit now. Many cities' agencies maintain an active presence on social networks and others develop their own interactive citizen apps. So basically, it's pitching total surveillance and a social credit system. It's, it sounds like literally the apotheosis of like spreadsheet managerialism. Yes, Yes, it's, it's people who manage everything and then thought, okay, how can we manage these bloody people that we've got running around all over the place? Well, that's the thing. You know, smart yes. always seems to be a euphemism for literally just control, control everything. You know, yes. like, I mean, it, it seems maybe like a more um, trivial example, but smart motorways, for example, that we have in this country, yes. where it's just, you know, try, the attempt to manage every single little detail in the name of efficiency, but it actually ends up causing more problems than it's Yeah, those smart motorways are terrifying because there's no hard shoulder. Yeah, I know. So it's if, led to if, many deaths. So if, if you get a, a blown tyre, mm. um, and I I very almost had a blown tyre just a week ago. If mm. I had a family in the car, I'd, you know, you'd just be, you'd I mean, just be sat there with a lorry coming up behind yeah. you. Yeah, Nothing you can do, so terrifying. And actually, another thing about smart things is uh, smart meters. I think in, in Texas recently, the energy mm. companies increased because it was aircon that they were running at the time so they they increased the thermostats in the homes of thousands of homes because they had an energy shortage without telling the homeowners about it this is yeah, this is essentially dark. what smart means it's, yeah. it's handing over control i'll, I'll read yeah. i'll read the next bit of the mckinsey report because this bit is unintentionally based um <laughs> In a high-crime city with a population of 5 million, this could mean saving 300 lives a year. Incidents of assault, robbery, burglary and auto theft could be lowered by 30-40%. to 40%. On top of these metrics, the incalculable benefits of giving residents freedom of movement and peace of mind. Well, freedom from freedom, yeah, essentially. Technology is not a quick fix for crime, but agencies can use data to deploy scarce resources and personnel more effectively. Real-time crime mapping... For instance, utilising statistic and analysis to highlight patterns. Pattern recognition is not normally what uh, what what you're allowed to do in, in, mm, that's, in, in that's crime. That's beginning to sound problematic. Yes. Um, while predictive policing goes a step further, anticipating crime to head off incidents before they occur. So, you know, bit minority report there. Yeah. 
Uh, and this bit, I, I, I might have lifted this bit from a from a different section of the uh, of, of the report, but but I think it fits in quite neatly here. Mm. Cities can use data and analytics to identify demographic groups with elevated risk profiles and target interventions more precisely. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yes. So uh, yes, un- unintentionally based, I'm sure. Which we is- have to. Well, we have to wonder if it will be if the the systems in question will be. Um- fiddle with as with the you know the ai yes. um systems that we see coming up now where the the does the uh you know coders or whatever yes. um they put their own biases into it to balance out the biases that reality seems to have yes if you see what i'm saying yes yeah. well my, my biggest concern with this is okay so they're putting on all of these methods to basically to uh to to down a crime problem mm. but why don't we just not start taking these homogeneous low crime cultures and then ramming immigration into them until they end up like France. That's a great idea. Yes. Yeah, brilliant yes. idea. Clever thought, isn't mm. it? Uh, but, uh, but no, they don't want to do that. So, um, so instead, they've come along with this smart cities thing. So you're just thinking, okay, well, it's, it's, it's a WEF plan, um, and, and I, I'm not going to show you the WEF document, but mm. I'll stick it in the reading link so you can just find that. Um, the EU have adopted it. I will show you the EU document. So here mm. we go. Oh, I might need to... Um, sc- can we scroll down to the, to the bit below? Right here. Go into that okay. bit. Right Now scroll down in that bit, and it'll give you a little map. Here we go. Right, so that's the plan for smart city rollout um, that has been agreed between the the WEF and the EU. Now, thankfully, Britain isn't mentioned on that. Grayed out there. Yes, I, I guess we're. Well, I suppose we're not in the EU, so that, no. that would be why. Um, but um, you'll notice that the Netherlands features quite heavily for quite a small country. Yes, now. yes. So what what's going on with them is is that they've decided to take this thing one step further. They're not going. They're going not going to just have a smart city. Mm. They're going to have this massive tri-state city thing. Oh, Jesus. Let's go to the, the next document for, for that. So this is from, from the Dutch government. There we go. Oh, it's, it's, oh it's, it's, it scrolls past, but it was on the bit that I wanted, but uh, that's fine. It will come back around mm-hmm. again. So so we got this document here from, um, yes, the, the massive tri-state city that they're looking to to come in. Any second now, we'll scroll back to the bit. Yeah, the, you, so, you sort of see it there. And yeah. That, that yeah. massive sort of countrywide... This one here. Here we go. That, yeah. that sort of city Look thing that, that it's doing. So um, now you might be thinking to yourself, well, the only problem with that is that um, Holland is, is, is basically the biggest agricultural producer or exporter in the world. One of, yeah, certainly. It's massive. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of farms mm. in the way of this of this fantastic project. But they put our mind at ease. If we scroll to the bottom of this uh, of this web page, just go straight to the bottom. And there it goes. It reassures us. This model has no relationship with the nitrogen policy of the Dutch government. So, That's very reassuring. Yes, yeah, very reassuring. Mm. So you might be thinking, okay, well, what is the uh, the um, the nitrogen policy of the Dutch government? Right. Well, you know how um, basically in um, in the US and UK and various other countries, the logic basically goes something like this: it is it is carbon dioxide. Reasons, reasons, therefore communism. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. <laughs> now the Dutch have have obviously looked at this and thought, well, that's not going to work mm. because carbon is like zero point zero four percent of the um, of the um, atmosphere uh, of the atmosphere. Yeah. Yes, we got we got we got a chart. Yeah. So so is, is a, so carbon dioxide is a tiny amount of the atmosphere. So that's not going to be scary. Mm. How can we scare people? Ah, look at the big blue bit. Nitrogen, seventy-eight percent of the atmosphere. That's what we're going to terrify people with. So, so the Dutch version is ever so clever. It is basically nitrogen, reasons, reasons, therefore communism. Mm. Inventive. Yes. You've got to give them yes. that. I, 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 I quite like that. Yeah. So um, basically, what the what the Dutch have done is they've come up with this clever plan where they're going to um, forcibly acquire three thousand family farms and liquidate them, <sighs> destroy God. them. 
Um, now, that is something that really annoys me because um, Europe does this a lot. And, and I always explain this, that the, the base tier of an economy mm. is energy and agriculture. Yeah. Everything beyond that point, you can swap around as much as you want. Mm. You know, if, if you're making a lot of washing machines and nobody wants washing machines, you just make, you know, hi-fis and stuff, mm. whatever. Basically, everything after that. But, but energy and agriculture absolute based here yeah and those are the two things that western especially european governments seem absolutely determined to demolish as fast as they possibly can well i mean you, d you only need to think about it for 10 seconds for that to make sense i mean if there's no yeah. food there's no civilization yes, there's and, no order well, yes. yeah and, you're just and, and energy of course i mean that's that's why yeah. we're doing this as opposed to being subsistence farmers of course, yeah. is because of the energy that, that gets you the returns i mean that's even more based in agriculture yeah. But, but yeah for whatever reason um uh, western uh, especially european governments are incredibly hostile to mm. farming so um, th they have basically been, um, you know, uh, putting into plan their um, their attempts to try and forcibly acquire these homes. Uh, the, the farmers who, who live there, of course, they're not particularly happy with this whole situation. <laughs> so it leads to um, situations like this where the Dutch um, police end up shooting at, um, at Dutch children. Uh, and in this one case, it was a 16-year-old um, a farmer boy um, in a tractor driving away from police. And the police decided to, to open fire on this. Watch this. Kian Bexi here with the counter signal. After driving across the Netherlands from blockade to blockade, I ended up with a convoy that was making its way across the southern end of the country so that they could blockade an undisclosed location. Now, they've just pulled over and they've stopped after some news came uh, through the grapevine that the police actually started opening fire on their fellow protesters just north of this location. Neil, hey, wapens, jongen, wapens. away from the police. It's pretty scary stuff. Now, this prime minister, this leftist globalist prime minister, will stop at nothing to silence any dissidents. I think we've got one bit that comes straight after this. Can we go into the next bit? Do we have that? Oh, no, no, we don't. Okay, so, so there, there, there was a, sl a slight uh, addendum, but I, I don't think I described it properly in my notes. But basically, then it speaks to a... Um, a Dutch farmer who describes that um, you know th this sort of police action is is not historically normal mm. for the Netherlands, but over the last two years um, the police have become extremely aggressive towards yeah. the Dutch people. Now we saw this, of course, um, very heavily in, um, in in the sort of the um, the, the lockdown civil wars yeah. um, the government's committed against their people over the mm. last couple of years. Uh, Holland was like the Australia of Europe. Right, is that um, right? It was, yeah. it was, it was quite, you know, distressing watching some of the sort of the, the graphic images mm. coming out of that. And and I, I you know, you, you would see loads of videos of basically peaceful protesters mm. saying, you know, we should be able to go outside and see our loved ones, far right, and presumably freely associate and stuff like that. Yeah. And the police would basically attack them. I mean, just just blatantly attack them, just pull truncheons, yeah, and charge straight at them and start clubbing them. And, and I think I'm think I'm right. I'm saying it was it was um, Holland that got to the point where. Um, the aged veterans would come out in their uniforms and their medals and stand mm. between the police and the and the protesters because they under because at least even the cowardly scum Dutch police recognised that bludgeoning aged veterans it's not a great look was yeah was 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 bad optics yeah. so 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 they they managed to to pull short of that I mean I'm not sure if uh, if the Netherlands had any problems with the shall we say regime approved pro protest movements uh, you know burning down cities and so on I don't but know I, they did actually yeah. yeah. The, like, I've never heard anything about it. I mean, it would be very weird for that to happen in the Netherlands. Of all yeah, I mean, it'd be weird for it to happen to 
well anywhere well, but, well obviously here, yeah but, uh, but, it, but it's yeah weird, but so. um i mean obviously we have to wonder whether the police would be as aggressive with uh, those sorts of characters friends of the of the regime as opposed yeah. to enemies like I, this. I would imagine not yeah maybe mm. if we've got any um dutch uh, viewers do let us know in the comments if um if you had the um the, the summer of floyd in, um, mm. in holland as well and that, that would be interesting to know but it wasn't just um people trying to defend um their farms and homes from from police aggression um on the streets there was also a political pushback mm. And that came in the form of, um, and uh, bear with me while I say this, Boer Burger Bewiging Party, commonly abbreviated to BBB for obvious reasons, um, but we can just call it the Farmers Party. Mm. So um, now, now for some reason, and this confuses me, and again, you know, maybe Dutch um, commenters can, can explain this to me, for some reason Dutch democracy does not seem to be quite as well fortified as it is in most other places and most mm. other WEF partners. Mm. So, so That so, seems a very dangerous threat to democracy. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah precisely. Yeah. Uh, because this happened. Unbridled joy for Caroline van der Plas as her party shook up the Dutch political landscape on Wednesday evening. Founded just four years ago, the BBB is now projected to be the largest party in the Senate. This could mean we will be the biggest party in the Netherlands. This isn't normal, not normal. Well, actually, I do find it normal, but I never expected it. The elections that took place were provincial, but they also indirectly decide the makeup of the country's national Senate. The BBB, or Farmer Citizen Movement, is projected to be the largest party in the Senate, with 15 out of 75 seats the same amount as the Labour Party and Dutch Green Party coalition. Prime Minister Mark Rutter's party, VVD, is predicted to go down from 12 to 10 seats. And according to van der Plas, this will make the governing coalition take her party seriously. What does this mean for the coalition in the Senate? Okay. Uh, they already had a small so, majority, um, but now it's reduced... Oh, no, there's more. Yeah, well, whatever. Anyway, so so where, I think where that clip was getting to mm. was um, the, the Farmers' Party became the largest party. Um, and, it, and I think it had more than the ruling coalition, which was a coalition of two parties. Obviously, that wasn't going to be viable. So Mark Rutt, the globalist on the bicycle mm. that we saw slightly earlier, he had to come back to this. And his response was to um, spend 10 months forming a new coalition. And that new coalition was um, a fragile uh, four-party coalition of... The People's Party for Freedom and Democracy, which was his party, which is probably the most inappropriately named political party at some time. Yeah, yes. so I might as well start calling myself a skinny black woman. <laughs> um, the Liberal Democrats Democrat Party, the Christian Democratic Appeal Party, and the centrist Christi Uni Party, which sounds like a feminine hygiene product. It does, but, but, yeah. but yeah. So, so anyway, so they they got put together. That lasted 18 months and, and then collapsed messily last Friday. Um, let's watch um, from our based friends in, in Australia describing this. Well, it's turmoil in the Netherlands right now with Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte resigning after his government collapsed in, in a row over immigration. This shake-up has paved the way for a general election later in the year with a substantial possibility that the populist pro-farmer BBB party could claim power. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Joining us now to discuss this is our great friend from the Netherlands, Ralph Schulhammer. Ralph, great to see you again. Always good to have you on the show and thank you for staying up so late to chat to us. Um, what is happening in Holland, mate? What's going on? Well, we live in absurd times, right? Ben and Jerry's <laughs> wants to give back lands. 
the Dutch government wants to take land. Nobody knows who owns what anymore. Um, <laughs> nobody gave a great introduction. Uh, if the government did implode, uh, the main reason was uh, the asylum politics, which is quite interesting, because apparently Mark Rutte, kinda, who is the longest serving head of government in Europe, together with Viktor Orban, so he has been around for 13 years, apparently now has discovered his inner hardliner when it comes to migration. So apparently the, the story is that they um, they collapsed due to a row over immigration. Mm. The version is that that globalist guy was was trying to pretend that he was more um, hawkish on, on, on immigration, although that might have been pre-positioning because he realised that his, his, his coalition was unstable and he mm. was getting attacks from the right and therefore he was, he was positioning as much as anything. Yeah. Um, that guy then goes on to speculate that he, he might even try and form a coalition with the Farmers' Party. <laughs> But um, I think we heard earlier today that he's given up on that notion. He's decided to, to pull out of um, politics. Mm. So so very encouraging. That's a victory. Um, and we have to take that. You yeah, know, that's, that, that that's is a victory. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know, well, well done to the Dutch. Have you ever been to Holland? I haven't. No, I haven't. Right. I'd I went, like to go. <laughs> I went once. Um, years and years. It must have been 20 years ago now. But um, I, I was in the office and it was like a Thursday afternoon. Mm. And I said to our guys, oh, I, I'll see you tomorrow. And they said, oh, no, it's a four day weekend. Because it's like the, the Easter weekend. Mm. So I thought, oh, okay, well, what am I going to do with myself? So so I went on what, the interweb that we had back then. Yeah. And uh, there was a site called uh, lastminute.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so I managed to find there was, there was, a, there was a train leaving from Paddington in about half an hour <laughs> that would go down to some catamaran thing and then get me over to Amsterdam yeah. for the four days and then bring me back again. So I thought, oh, I'll do that. So I grabbed a, grabbed a gym bag from under the, under the desk, didn't bother getting changed or anything, and just sort of ran to the station and did that. I got to got to Amsterdam, and then I discovered there was must have been something going on because every single hotel was booked. Oh my god! Like every, every single one. So I, you know, I spent about four or five hours trying to find a hotel, couldn't find one. It was really bloody cold. It was almost on the verge of snowing, so I didn't know what to do. So so then I, then I had the bright idea. Well, I know what I do. I go to a nightclub and I find a local who can put me up for the night. Um, but the only problem with that is is normally I would I would fancy my chances there, mm -hmm. but women could smell desperation, right? <laughs> yeah. And it was right, really yeah. bloody cold, so I would have been. I mean, I, I would have taken a 6.5 at that point. Yeah. I mean, maybe even a 6.2 because I haven't crossed a Dutch off my list at mm. this stage. So, so anyway, so, but it didn't matter because I got, I got, I managed, by the time I managed to find a club, they were basically throwing out at that point. Oh, no. So, so, I, so I couldn't get that. So I, so I loitered around for a while and um, thought I'd try and catch somebody's eye. And it sort of worked because there was one lass who came out and gave me a smile and then stopped down the street a little bit and had a cigarette and you know, kept on looking back. And you might think that's good, but she was like mid to late 30s. So I carried on up the street. <laughs> right. And, so, and what I had to do in the end is I found a massive like um, pile of, of chairs and tables outside a cafe with a big tarpauling over it. Yeah. And um, then I went to one of those like hole-in-the-wall um, kiosk newsagents type things and I bought his entire box of cigarette lighters and bummed a, an elastic band off him and then made myself a little jerry-rigged like uh, gas heater <laughs> and just sat under that while it snowed all night. It's weirdly romantic in a way. Well... It was just me, so it wasn't wasn't that good. And then, um, and then when I heard the tarpauling being taken off in the morning, I just had to sort of stand up and yeah. give them a good smile. Thanks, and, lads. <laughs> yes, march off down the street purposefully, my sports bag yeah. over my shoulder, leaving them to wonder why there's a little replica stone hinge made out of used lighters at the bottom of their yeah their pile of tables and chairs. But you do these things when you're in your twenties, don't you? So, of course, yes. Yeah. So um, 
Random sidetrack, but anyway, well done, Holland. Good to see you fighting back against the uh, globalists. And if you keep this back, I will come back for a second time and I will book a hotel this time. Right. Right, so I'm going to talk about um, a very special event that has uh, happened in London uh, over the last week. Um, and I'm hoping that this segment, like yours actually, is going to be a bit of a white pill. Very well, positive good. podcast today, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so this is an art exhibition called, it just called quite simply The Exhibition. Um, and this took place, as I said, in London um, over the last week. Um, and I just want to read out their mission so it's state. closed now, hasn't it? So we can't... It has closed now, okay. but there are... Well, this what essentially this was, was a proof of concept, this okay. this uh, event, because yeah. they are intending to do many, many more of these in the future. Yeah. Um, but what this was, was, look, we can do this. We can bring all these very interesting, very talented people together, and we yeah. can put on you know a successful show, if you want. Um, so the mission statement of this, of this event is as follows. So we come together because we are hungry for true beauty, aesthetic strength, and vital expressions. Because we want to see culture that energizes. Because we have been standing on the sidelines watching how the flame of true creation has been smothered by petty ideology. This is a momentous occasion. Like-minded artists from across Europe joining forces to make a cultural shift. We believe this is a pivotal moment in its nascent stage. Inspired by the collectives that have formed before us, we stand unapologetically to carve out another route in this time of artistic stagnation. If we don't rekindle this fire, who will? And I've got to say, I, so I, I went to this, I was invited by uh, Ferro, who was one of the artists there who viewers may be familiar with um, if, you know, in, these, in these circles. Um, it completely succeeds in that mission, for one thing, because, I mean, I've never, I've never experienced anything quite like it before. Um, so, you know, it, it, the room was brimming with, with sort of, um, you know, as Jonathan Bowden might say, fire, energy, glory, and thinking. That's a great quote that I like. Okay. Do, do you um, have examples? Yes. Um, John, well, we're going to go through, uh, well, the, yeah, there's the post today. So you've got the, um, the artist there. So you've got Matthew the Stowe, Alexander Adams, who is a friend of the show and has been on before. Um, Harold Markram, Vladim Pijanovic, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Fender Villiers, Sam Wilde, and uh, Columba and Farrow. Um, oh, I know so, some of those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, John. If we can go on to the um, if we can go on to the video, uh, just yeah. So this this was the exhibitions. So this is a kind of virtual tour, and I'm just gonna we're gonna have this run in the background while I while I speak because it's quite where, a long. Whereabouts video. in London was this? Um, so I, I can't actually remember the it, the nearest uh, tube station was Warren Street, um, and it was right. a, a place called the Fitzrovia. Sorry, good say again, John. It was the Fitzrovia Gallery, um, and yeah, it was, as you can see, it's just a, a great location. Um, and I mean, I'm no art, art I'm no art critic, but I mean, yeah. some of the art on display was well, all of the art on display was phenomenal. Um, this was some of Farrow's work here, um, and Alexander Adams just above. Um, you know, you can tell really, really. Great it's it's stuff. got a much more sort of heroic theme to it than the sort of. Well, um, that's the thing. You know, it's all very again. It's all energy. It's all power, and it's all strength. And yes. fundamentally, you know, I've, I've been to I've been to you know, many art galleries in my time, and somewhere like the National Gallery, for example. Yes. Obviously, the art there is beautiful and stunning and fantastic. But well, the my, old stuff. Sorry? The old stuff. Old stuff, yeah. Yes, the old stuff is good. Yeah. Our, but our culture was once good. Of course. But, yes. uh, you know, my sense is that it's, it's from a time that's, that's dead. It's from a world that is long gone. And I don't, you know, I feel yeah. that kind of sentimental attachment to the art that you find somewhere like the National Gallery. But I've been, I struggle... I've been to things like the Tate Modern. That's rubbish. Well, I'm going to get onto that in a oh, moment, right, actually. Okay. Um, but this, I mean, the sense in this room, it, it was very much alive. You know, again, the energy yeah. there was just palpable. It was electric. Um, and the enthusiasm and passion of the artists um, there. I mean, again, you could just you could 
could feel it. Um, you know, I, I spoke to uh, several of them um, and I was, you know, taken round and the artist spoke to me about their art and it was just, you know, so good. I mean, this uh, Fender Villiers sculpture work here is just so good. This is, I think this is called Prometheus, uh, this piece. And again, you can just see, you know, the, pa the power, yes, the energy. Everything's got a lot more sort of... Um yeah, like, like I say, heroic energy, sense yes. of will, sense of purpose. Because normally I look at contemporary art and I, I just I just don't like it at all. But yeah. Everything I've seen so far is something that I would actually buy. Mm. Yeah, well, well, you still can. If you go onto the exhibition uh, website, you can still buy some of the, right. uh, some well, of the pieces. I would say which bits I like best then. Yes, no, indeed. Um, it was all great. And you know, was, there were quite a few different styles on display. Again, I'm no yeah. art critic, so I can't use the, uh, the proper terminology. No, I'm not. But all the same, I know... If I see something and I like it, yes, and like I said, this is this has got the sort of heroic will type energy. Absolutely, about it. yeah, no, really, really powerful stuff. Um, you brought up the Tate Modern. Um, yeah. I do. I want to contrast this with somewhere like that because to me, yeah, I've been to the Tate Modern many times, um, and there was a time where I, I don't know, when I was younger, where I thought it was just it was kind of cool because everybody said it was cool. Um, yeah. But actually now that I've, I don't know, become a bit more aware of what somewhere like the Tate Modern represents, yeah. um, I just, I regard it as this kind of cathedral to anti, sort of regime approved anti-art. So is, is this meant to be right-wing art? Well, this is the thing. It wasn't an explicitly, a necessarily explicitly political event. Um, it's okay. again, it's supposed, I think it's, it's deeper than politics, frankly. Um, I mean, yeah. it is, I mean, it is a, a collective of dissident people you know pharaoh columba and so on go on um aa's channel because uh, i'm seeing lots basis. of swords dragons being slain yes angels swords yeah i mean it, it champions um, it champions strength and power it doesn't yes. champion for instance you know minority concerns let's say um yeah well i've, I've seen a lot of um um contemporary street art mm. um and a lot of the time it's just like completely nondescript black women well it's just surface level you know politics of the day type stuff yes. whereas this is a far deeper i mean you know i'm going to go on to talk about an article but this is this this is the birth of a movement that's really what it felt like oh i see um yeah no really fantastic stuff but again to contrast it with somewhere like the tate modern which is i mean even the architecture of the place john if we could move on to just just to remind viewers of what the tate modern looks like from the outside um seem to remember it's fairly not oh yes there we go just this horrible imposition on you. Um, yes, it does look like a sort of Soviet yeah. um, building that you get taken to and never come out of. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a post-war building, and it's yeah, very much, very much in that tradition, if we could even dare call it that. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's uh, just totally the opposite of this. Well, you know, this is. And the interesting thing about the summer, like the Tate Modern, and actually the left wing more generally, a lot of them still think that they are the scrappy dissidents, you know, the rebel type <laughs> force in society. Yes. Whereas obviously we all recognise that that's complete nonsense. They absolutely that, control everything. Yeah. Whereas when you were, again, when you were at this, when I was at this, I really did feel like these were people, for one thing, who were all of a like mind, which was really refreshing, and all who, who recognised that we, frankly, we are the, the kind of, the, you know, the rebel force, the scrappy you know characters that was on a pharaoh's pieces that i really liked that it was a lion with wing. yeah is that a, what do you call that a lion with wings or whatever it's, it's a mythological creature of some sort mm. but that was great because i mean i you know i don't want to talk about his art as if i know all about it but he explained no. it to me that it was a representation of england you know the three lions and uh, you know the first okay. is the former glory second is the current emaciated weakened images, state. yeah stuff. yeah and the third was the kind of revitalizing figure and that again that was really just the sense throughout the whole event it was just this sense of rebirth you know there's a lot of inspiration yeah. from sort of british mythology that is coming through yes in, oh in yes a whole bunch of this stuff yeah well that's the thing it, yeah it's very very 
very British for one thing, but very Western in general, yeah. um, which is refreshing. Um, so I did, I did actually go to the Tate Modern once mm. um, and had a look around. And, and again, it was years and years ago, but it was when um, Tracy Emmons' bed. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Remember that, that, that was on display. Mm. And I mean, it was kind of interesting in a sense because mm. that was being talked about in the media all the time. Yeah. And it basically just said it was this messy bed and it was basically sort of left at that. So yeah. I made myself go along and basically stare at it until I could see what was what was happening. Yeah. And it was kind of this messy bed on one side, um, and you had sort of pizza boxes and underwear and mm. used contraception and all that kind of stuff sprued on on one side of the bed. Yeah. And then on the other side of the bed was this was this and the, the newspapers never mentioned this was this um, locked um, uh, suitcase like with chains and stuff around it and padlocks, okay. and presumably it was supposed to mean, uh, talk about some aspect of the discomfort of modern femininity mm. which was being forced to be this sort of garish um one night stand seeking mm. um junk food eating woman yeah and it was completely at odds with that inner sense of herself mm. which was presumably meant to be represented by the padlocked briefcase on the other the suitcase on the other side with the chains around it yeah that's so really interesting was, i never knew that it was at odds with this lifestyle that mm. she thought that she had to live but but I mean that that ended up for me being a sort of a an analogy for the whole of the sort of left wing experience, mm. which is to debase yourself, to live only in the moment, to yeah. seek the hedonistic pleasures, and then be at war with your own sense of self, mm. which you've had to lock away in yeah. order to get through this. And you always know, you know, deep down, there's always a yeah. even unconscious awareness of well, that it's, contradiction. It's making women well, and, and men in these days mm. live against a way which goes against their most fundamental nature. Well, and again, you contrast that with somewhere like this, where it is yes. all, you know, it's, it's again, na nature was, you could feel that here. It was well, what, very what I take from this is, 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 is that art was about frivolity and casualness mm. and, and um, slattery and all the rest mm. of it. Everything I've seen here. Mm. It imbues a sense of struggle. So the centerpiece for people who are listening yeah. is this guy who's. It looks like he's either trying to climb something or he's forcing himself against a heavy wind. Mm. But but basically there was a sense of struggle and he, he's having to do something or go somewhere or achieve something and yeah. it's not easy and he's really having to put his back yeah. into it. That's the centerpiece. But it's a heroic image. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's really good. And then the rest of the stuff as you go round, again, I'm I'm seeing constantly senses of image achievement of of conquering mm. something hunting images at the back but yeah. it's, it's all about you know we've we've got to do something and mm. it's not easy which contrasts with you know the example that i've seen at the yeah. Tate modern which was you know let's just give in to our most base instincts mm. at the most immediate time frame yeah well again you know to think about the values represented again you know tracy emmons unmade bed i haven't looked at it for a long time but again it does kind of champion this uh well, this hedonistic, um, yes. you know, messiness. Whereas there's a yeah. level of seriousness that the you know the art of the yes. exhibition had that just yeah. you know modern art doesn't possess. Um, but anyway, I'd like to move on um, to the politics. Um, oh, and, and one last thing, you know, we can we could say that the, the art of the Tate Modern is what Alexander Adams, who is one of the artists at the exhibition, would call artivism. He's a good know, bloke, actually. Yeah, he's yep. very good. So, you know, um, Carl and, and him spoke about his book, Artivism, on a book club some time ago. Um, and, I mean, again, you go there and the sense is that this is a deeply, I don't know, a deeply, I don't know, I don't quite know how to put it. But the art on display is not there because it's beautiful. It's there because of The Message, capital TM. You understand yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that, that's worth getting, it's, it's worth listening to, um, yeah, it's a very good episode. to Alexander, yeah. because, I mean, 
obviously we 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 are not art people. So no, we, no, we're trying course. to yeah. we're trying to bumble our way through this, but yeah. um, but but Alex is a, is a proper art person. So yeah, it's, it's something you're going to want to know something about. So yeah, it's yeah. well worth checking that out. Yeah, um, but anyway, I'd like to move on to just talking about because we have to talking about the politics of this event, what it actually right. represents. Okay. Um, because you know, again, as a proof of concept, it's just phenomenal getting all of these people together in a room together at once. Um, you know, it's it's a great achievement in and of itself. Um, and you know, like I, I spent quite a lot of time in like Westminster and media circles and this sort of thing. Yes. And it was just it was so refreshing to be among people that are actually of like mind, people who actually are mm. serious about you know um, change and 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 opposition to the current order. Um, I actually, I spoke to Columba for quite some time, and he he said something to the effect of like it's just so nice not having to explain. Like when you're talking to someone, you have the same you know, the same level of understanding about this stuff, so you can just go straight in and have a quite a high yeah, level. Yeah, that, that was something that I really enjoyed. Well, it's hard to say I enjoyed anything about it, but the mm. um, the, the, the the lockdown civil war that mm. our government's committed against us. I mean, what it did make us do is then go along to all these protests. Yes. And again, it was just wonderful being amongst people who, mm. who exactly that. You don't need to explain yourself. Yeah. You don't need to apologise. You, well, you, I don't apologise anyway. But, mm. but, but you, you, you often find yourself having to pick your words to yes. navigate your way through something yeah. without causing a big re on the mm. other side of it. So, so yeah, and, and actually, that's the, that's, that's the big problem with our modern age is, mm. is it has allowed us to reach out to all sorts of people who share our views. Yeah, but often they're like miles away, mm. on the other side of the world, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And we've got to we've got to start coming back to face to face. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, there's a very good article that's um, come out on Bournebrook by uh, S. D. Wicket um, that I want to draw attention to about the exhibition because it's a very good article and it really sums up the the kind of atmosphere there um, yes. really well. And there's one quote in particular that I just want to read out in the spirit of what we were just talking about. Um, so he recalls this this legend um, that goes as follows. So he says, in 1976, the Sex Pistols played a show at the Lesser Free Trade Hall in Manchester. There was, figuratively, no one there. However, every one of these nobodies became a somebody. Ian Curtis and the future members of Joy Division were supposedly there, as were Morrissey and Johnny Marr. Mick Hucknall of Simply Red, Mark E. Smith of The of the Fall, it was put on by the Buzzcocks, and some even say that Bono was there. Most of these supposed attendees were, in fact, some uh, elsewhere on that night, but the moral of the legend is the same. In the trajectory of an artistic movement, it is not a question of how many are in the room, but rather who is in the room, and that's fundamental right there. That story and the surrounding legend was clear in my mind as I left the Fitzrovia Gallery in London, having witnessed what I knew to be the birth of a new aesthetic movement within the British right. One that is vital, distinct, cool and forward-facing, while not abandoning the past, but taking it along for the ride. And I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that analysis. And what he said there about who was in the room, I think that's really fundamental to understand. Because we talk about, I mean, in these circles, we talk about the primacy of organisation and you know, how, how you know, mere numbers doesn't actually um, yield any change. You know, that we need to be, it needs to be people of quality yes. and not mere quantity. Yes. And the sense at this place was, for one thing, the, the sort of average age was fairly low, which, mm. which, was, which I find, found, you know, quite encouraging. Mm. Um, and the caliber of person there was very, very high. Mm. Um, so I came, I came away feeling the exact same. I came away feeling optimistic, energized, you know, just really positive, frankly. You know, as I said, it's the, the the mission statement that they that they laid out at the start completely succeeded in that. It was it was just fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, as a proof of concept, it's just it's wonderful that this went ahead. 
Um, yeah, great example. I mean, I'd like to see more examples of people. I mean, networking and meeting up. Mm. You, you just just find an excuse. Yeah, for some yeah, reason. Absolutely. But make 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 real connections because yeah. something is coming. Mm. And you know, if at the end of the day, you you, you can't survive on digital friends alone. Mm. Yeah, but again, to think about this as mere politics is wrong because it's it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's so much deeper than that, and that's what's important to remember. Um, and in that spirit, I do want to just conclude um, with a kind of a sentiment that I was very aware of and that I spoke to quite a few people about while I was there. And I'm actually going to cite Douglas Murray of all people um, to to communicate that. So this is from the Madness of Crowds. He says, "Of all the ways in which people can find meaning in their lives, politics is one of the unhappiest." Politics may be an important aspect of our lives, but as a source of personal meaning, it is disastrous. Not just because the ambitions it strives after nearly always go unachieved, but because finding purpose in politics laces politics with a passion, including a rage, that perverts the whole enterprise. And I, I mean, I, when I read that initially, I thought that was really true. Now, I don't necessarily have a problem with passion in politics. I think it's very important, especially on our side of things. But I think that he is very... I mean, yeah, he's correct in saying that finding your purpose, you know, finding, trying to find meaning in politics is basically a fool's endeavour. And I've, I mean, I've, I've been fallen, you know, yeah. fallen for this, made politics my whole life. Um, and it does kind of drive you mad. It makes you a little politics bit weird. Politics in the news cycle sucks you in. Yeah. But it doesn't give you any substance. No, it doesn't. And so, again, the kind of, the substance of life, the nourishing, that was the yeah. word that I came away thinking of, nourishing, yeah. nourishing substance, is to be found in things like this. It's to be found in our culture, our history. Um, yeah, we have to remember what we're fighting for, if you want. Um, and I think events like this are essential for that reason. You know, they, they really do remind us of what's actually important. Because we can talk politics all day, we can talk strategy all day, um, and so on. And that is important. But if we don't do anything else other than that, well, but, what's actually the point of but our But fundamentally, movement? underlying things such as family and culture yeah. do matter more. Absolutely, yeah. So um, politics is all well and good, but we have to have something to fight for. And this... This is, the exhibition is a great achievement and I cannot wait to see where we go in the future oh cool. definitely look, look to check out the uh, the one next year so mm. so that's really encouraging that's really nice we've mm. had two white pill segments yes um, really uplifting that's wonderful so I'm going to do a segment on um, how it's all going to shit completely. oh brilliant yeah, just to just to bring down the tone I mean people 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 like that so uh, yes let's talk about uh, US house prices and uh, the, the, the state of things over there so don't know if you remember but um about a month ago, Callum and I did a segment on the um, on the U.S. debt ceiling deal. Mm. I mean, that was that wasn't that long ago now. Um, in fact, when was it? It was the um, it was the fifth of June. Fifth of June, the new debt ceiling got a, got agreed, and I did that video. Yeah. Um, back then, the debt was um, thirty one and a half trillion. It yeah. had taken the U.S. government two hundred and forty seven years to get to thirty one and a half trillion. So, how long do you reckon it took them to add? An extra trillion on top of that. Well, we're already there. Let's have a look at this. This One. is a this is a table of U.S. debt, um, spaced out um, every couple of days since um, last month. And look, there we go from from thirty one and a half trillion to thirty two and a half trillion, an increase of a trillion in a month. That is uh, this, astonishing. I mean, this is I mean, it's going completely mad at this point. And again, if you watch Brokenomics, you will understand why this is so disastrous. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it is. It is uh, monstrously disastrous at yeah. this. Right. So, and, and and look, that's just the that's just the U.S. Um, um, government debt pile. It, it's not including state debt. Um, is not including private debt. Is not including the debt that they are legally obligated to take on board. Um, because if if you were to add in you know the Medicare and the state debt and the private debt, I mean you'd be in the hundreds of trillions. Mm. 
of, of debt at this point. Um, so basically, that is just the the US's um, credit card, right? So then you might ask yourself, okay, well, um, what is the US um, paying out on its on its credit card? Well, let's go to the next one. So this is um, how much the the federal government is having to spend on just its its current debt pile. So so effectively, its credit card bill every month to uh, to maintain minimum payments. And as you can see, it's very nearly going to hit a trillion dollars a month. No, a year. Yeah, sorry, a, a trillion dollars right, a so. year yeah. um, just to pay interest on the debt which is not good um especially when you bear in mind that actually the the i mean it's spending a trillion dollars and that's out of six trillion its total spending mm. is six trillion yeah. so so it's, it's a monstrous amount and what's even worse is they only collect 4.7 in in taxes <laughs> yeah it's it's this is disastrous yeah i mean this I mean, is this is so this is like a tailspin I mean, oh, where it's, does it's, it's, it's proper debt spiral stuff. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I like, uh, you know, the, the people aren't, for whatever reason, quite as interested in these segments. But I mean, it really matters because I'm sure if people were told, you know, before the 2008 crisis mm. and all the other financial crises, by the way, this is coming and it's coming at you really fast. Yeah. They'd want to know. But for some reason, people tend to prefer hearing about it after it's happened before, as opposed to hear it before yeah. it's happened. Well, it's all quite abstract, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah. we're looking at a graph here. And I mean, we can recognise this looks really, really bad. But yes. until it becomes flesh, until it is made real, yes. I think it's quite hard for it's quite hard to actually wrap your head around. Well, that's why I tend to break it down by by individuals. So yeah. if 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 you are a US taxpayer, um, then the government is spending um, forty eight thousand dollars for every one of you. Excellent. Right? And and it's spending eight thousand um, per taxpayer just on servicing the debt. Mm. So so if you're a US taxpayer listening to this. Yeah, the the government is spending um, forty eight grand of your money every year. Now, I, I don't know how many of you are actually paying forty eight grand a year in tax. Um, you know, fortunately, um, taxes are disproportionately skewed towards the the people who who earn more. Mm. So, so you know, um, there's a few presumably NBA players and, and, and Hollywood types in there mm. who, are, who are sort of paying a little bit more. But that is a monstrous amount of money that the US taxpayers are I mean, are, are being required to cough up on this stuff. Yeah. Think of all the things you could buy with forty-eight grand. Yeah, my God. Uh, but the fundamental problem is they're spending. Uh, what did I say? They're spending. Um, yeah, six point two, and mm. they're collecting four point seven. Yeah. So it's easy to see why where all the debt is uh, is debt is coming from on this. So yeah. So you take the magic money tree um, of all the money that they printed um, to try and to try and make the numbers add up. You add on all of the debt that, that's coming out, and you've got to ask yourself. You know, are there any negative downstream effects of the magic money tree and the and the debt print and the debt generation? I wonder. Well, <laughs> funnily enough, yes, there is. So, um, all the time that this has been going on, of course, we've had that massive inflation effect mm. that's, 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 come, that's come true. I've decided to make this mainly about the US, or I could do this about the UK as mm. well. But um, it, it's got so bad um, inflation in the UK that um, the Times reported recently the UK government is is thinking of kiboshing any and all pay rises in the public sector really? because they're worried that um, inflation is going to get out of control if they allow any more pay rises. Now, that's not actually how inflation works mm. because the inflation is there because of the money that's already been printed. Yeah. Um, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to lower everybody's living standards to try and make the sums add up again, mm. to try and get rid of the deficit, to basically control the wage bill 
um, making everybody effectively poorer. Yeah. While um, while while they sort of get away with devaluing the money by mm. by printing lots of it. It's probably also worth mentioning very quickly that I mean we have a lot of strikes in this country at the moment. I, I've literally in the last week been affected by this because my dissertation for my university degree hasn't been marked as a result of the strikes, and and that's the case for many many other right. people across the country. And again, they're sort of you know the strikes are because these public sector. This is nurses, uh, doctors, uh, yep. tube um, drivers, and so yeah. On. I'm really glad I'm not in London anymore because oh, it must be. A- Right pain. Yeah, nightmare. Um, but at, but least, at least London isn't on fire like Paris. Well, but. indeed, yeah. Well, that's small mercies. Um, I mean, this week. But, you know, the, the junior doctors, for instance, are asking yeah. for a 35% pay increase. So if the government are saying they're going to, yeah. you know, halt all pay increases, again, it, it, it's just everything is just kind of collapsing in on itself, isn't it? Yeah, and what's yeah. going to happen there is is the doctors are then going to um, just... Just leave and Stop go to working. Australia or something yeah, else. Yeah, or, or, or yeah. get a job in McDonald's. Yeah. Or, or, or and presumably else. the solution to that will be, you guessed it, yes. more mass immigration. Yes, exactly. Brilliant. Which which is then going to require more debt printing to integrate and, yes. and all, all the rest of it comes with it. So, yes. So, so um, as a result of all of this, um, basically they've been having to um, uh, generate the, the debt and the and the money printing, which leads to, to massive inflation. Mm. And then to try and counter that, they've been doing the interest rates. So let's, we've got the next chart. Uh, which yeah okay so this is um um government um U- US government bond yield so basically basically interest rates mm. going back to um to the early 90s there and basically what's happening is as government has been growing they have been having to lower the cost of money in order to make the sums add up that's essentially what you're seeing there with that line going yeah. down you know cost of money going down um until effectively money became free mm. that was the only way that they could make the sums add up anymore was was, was making money free if oh, yeah. if you are a government or, or large corporate yeah. entity um and then because of the inflation that was generated they then did, ended up having to, to whack these rates up and that's what's really undoing everything is is the, we, we've saw there the fastest ever increase of um rates mm. Um, which is which is breaking everything. I mean, it's breaking the um, um, the corporate um, property sector. Yeah, it's breaking the banks because they are basically having to um, borrow money mm. um, at five percent, and then their loan book is paying like three point eight percent. It just doesn't work. It'd be like a green grocer who bought bananas for fifty p and sold them for thirty eight p. It just it, it just it just doesn't add up. It's probably. I mean, again, I'm no economist, so I'm you correct me if I'm wrong. But it's probably worth noting that that's at the same level as two thousand and eight. Right? Is that relevant? Just based um, on the fact that 2008 was a big... Well, I mean, it's even worse because mm. we were used to relatively higher rates and so the existing stock of debt, everybody had built their assumptions mm. on a higher cost of debt. I see, right. And therefore that had a knock-on price to, to assets, as mm. we see in, in, in the next example with houses. Because when you get you people used to 0%, mm. And then you throw them up to, to 5%. That's a hell of a lot worse than people being used to, say, 2.5% and mm. going to 5 Sure, yeah. Um, because, you know... I mean, it's still bad, but mm. it's 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 significantly worse going from effectively free money to sort of that percent. So mm. let, let's let's have a look at the next bit, and I'll, I'll show you what I mean by here. So um, I've decided to make this segment of, focus it mainly on U.S. housing as opposed as opposed to U.K. because you know uh, there are some weird idiosyncrasies mm. of, of of the British market. But you know this gives you an example. So I'm looking here at um, the cost to borrow money for a house. So a 30 year fixed rate mortgage in 2021. And the typical rate there was just under three percent, so fairly typical house, four hundred grand. Um, you could borrow that money over thirty years, and you would end up paying on top of your four hundred grand. You would pay back an extra two hundred grand to bring the total cost of your loan over the thirty years, six hundred grand. Okay, so fair enough. Mm-hmm. You can afford a house. Um, where that is today, 
with rates for 30-year fixed at 7.7 is you borrow your 400, but instead of paying interest of 200 over the life, you pay back interest of 600. So that turns a $400,000 house into a $1 million house. That is astonishing. Yeah, it's it it is a it, it is a stupendous increase, and basically, you sort of, you know, you work it backwards, um, and what you get to is your um, your cost of servicing the mortgage um, goes up from in the top example um, one thousand six hundred dollars a month to two thousand eight hundred dollars a month. I mean, that's like that's like a different class. That's a different earnings. Yes. Yes. Category. Well, I, I, I wanted to sort of break down to, to give examples um, mm. to, to show you just just how screwed this whole situation is. Um, apparently, the median wage in the US is fifty four thousand dollars. Right. Okay. So you take fifty four thousand dollars and then you run it through, you know, a, 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 a payroll calculator, assuming an average state because mm. it, it it matters where you are. But generally, if you're getting you're getting three thousand seven hundred dollars in your pocket, spend every month out mm. of your pay packet. That's before you bought anything. You've, you've basically only been paid and you paid your, you paid your taxes sure. at this time. But you've got 3700 to spend. So the difference here is between, in the in the top example, um, you were paying something like 43% of your take-home pay went on your mortgage, leaving you with, um, oh, what is it? It was uh, 2100 for everything else. Mm. Well, now you're paying out 76% of your take-home pay, which leaves you with $900 for everything else. For the whole month. Yes. That is just unbelievable. Yeah, so so utilities, um, um, any any purchases, food, mm. um, yeah, the lot. Yeah, I mean, especially if, if you have to support a family, I mean, you cannot support a family on that, certainly. Yes. So so basically where I'm leading to with this is um, where what do you think is about to happen to US house prices? Um, that's, that's, that's the that's the question I've got, especially for our American viewers. What do you think is about to happen to your house prices, um, given this situation? There has been some modest tail off, but it is very modest at this point. Um, I would suggest that there is probably something coming down the track on this mm. one. Here, here's another data point. Let's look at this one. So this is a, an interesting tweet that um, a financial advisor put out. He said mortgage payments are now um, 58 more... 58% more expensive than rent payments. Again, I ask the question, what do you think is about to happen very to US house prices? Because you can get the you can basically get the same property, you can rent it for 58% cheaper than you can you can buy it. Yeah. And then we have to wonder, well, who's gonna yes. who's gonna own all the houses then? Uh yeah, yes, exactly. So um so you might you might think that I'm making the argument that renting is good. Well, um Nope, let's have a look at the next one. Yep. So, so this is this is basically showing um, for those of you listening the growth of household incomes since the year two thousand and the increase in rents. Basically, what it shows is that since the year two thousand, your household income has gone up by about seventy seven percent. Sounds good, right? Rents have gone up one hundred twenty five percent. Well, actually, over one hundred twenty five percent. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really. Yes. So, um, so either way, you're getting screwed. Um, you either you either losing ground um, by renting and and basically having your your you know the asset costs that are being pushed away mm. from you, um, or you're or you're mortgaged and you can't afford to eat or clothe yourself. Yeah. I mean, um, on rent. I mean, it's a, it's an obvious observation to make. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, I made this case in in an article I wrote a few weeks ago um, for Lotus Eaters that we as conservatives, I think we should regard 
private property as being basically the most important sort of um, economic question. Putting yeah. private property in the hands of especially young people who want to start families. Yes. Because, you know, that's that's the foundation upon which you build a civilization. Well, I mean, if, if you were a Conservative Party, for example, mm. why would you not want as many young people as possible to own their own home exactly. and start a family? Yeah. And obviously I have a vested interest in saying yeah. this because I'm a young person. But, you yeah, know, but anybody who wants the, the nation to do well yeah. and not become a communist hellhole should also want that because yeah. you want because you want young people bought into the system yes not basically from the you know outside it trying to tear it down yeah we want skin in the game because skin yes. in the game fosters sentimental attachment for one thing which is very right. important and it also means literally you know if if, if things go to go to s um that's going to affect me in a very direct way yeah you know yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it's crazy the, mm. the housing situation. Now, um, you know, I've, I've given in a number of examples here of how I think you know the U.S. system is is sort of really tugging at this. Mm. These same pre- same pressures apply within the U.K. Mm. The only thing is, is people are so emotionally attached to house prices in this country. So this happened before, back in two thousand and eight. Mm. In the U.S. market, they saw a sort of a massive decline in, in house prices because it, because the way they structure their mortgage is a little bit different. Mm. They tend to go for the long term, so you pay the cost up front. What happened in the U.K. back after 2008 is basically people just sat on their houses and just wouldn't sell because right. they could not bring themselves to lower the price. Mm. And so even though nobody was so, – so basically volume collapsed to, to almost nothing. Almost no houses were being sold. Mm. Uh, but people just could not bring themselves to accept less than their <laughs> mental model of what their house sure. was worth. Yeah. And so the, the housing mar- market basically just died for several years until the, the government started printing money mm. and then pumping pumping the asset price back up, yeah. and we, which is obviously what we actually need. We need mm. we, we, Well, we need significantly more houses to be built. Um, and I will have a brokenomics on that that I'm, I'm brewing up at the moment. Mm. I'm going to get in a... Um, um, people who really know about the the, the construction industry yes. to explain why that's like it is, um, but um, but actually I'm reminded of another brokenomics which I'm I'm in the process of writing at the moment, which is on Soviet economics, mm. and basically what that's about is how um, effectively serfdom. What it does is it, is it, is is an extractive economy mm. that basically sucks as much as possible from the broadest number of people possible, and then just funnels it all straight to the top. You know that that, yeah. that is basically what's happening. So so look, I'll throw in a plug for my brokenomics while I'm here. Um, we we got that. Um, so this was a recent discussion that I had um, with Peter Saint Onge. You might have seen cropping up on Twitter. He does some great stuff. So I had I had a good chat with him about all of this stuff. So it's worth checking. Out. So if you want to know about you know all of this stuff that's going on, you know go and watch the brokenomics series because mm-hmm. it, it will explain you know, in detail why why this is why this is going on here. Um, so yeah, so look, the system is breaking, and and while I'm mostly talking about houses here, it applies to the U- UK as well. It applies to um, commercial real estate. Mm. It applies to to government debt. You know, the whole system, as I've shown here in a few charts, is is just becoming undone. It's mm. completely it's completely unsustainable. Um, which is why I found the next tweet quite interesting. Um, so this is this is a guy called uh, Balaji, who's a who's a sort of you know tech guy and investor in the US um, he recently sort of came to a lot of people's attention because he um, basically burnt a million um, promoting Bitcoin He, I mean what he did is he, is he said I think Bitcoin's going to reach a certain price and it was an under I think he said Bitcoin will reach a million dollars in a month or mm. something which was a bit unachievable and I think he knew that but basically what he was doing is he was he was getting people talking about sure. it 
Um, and here he is highlighting, um, and, and, and I'll just replicate what he says here, you know, when the heads of the uh, the Bank for International Settlement says central banks will have absolute control over use of money, that's not democracy. That's when Keynesianism finally drops the mask and flat out communism and becomes flat out communism total centralization of control and all resources by unelected bureaucrats so just bear in mind what i said a moment ago about the soviet economy was essentially an extracted one where all of the money all of the value was was sucked up to the top and total control was placed over the serfs um, this guy, he's basically the 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 final boss of the globalists. I know a lot of people he looks talk, like it, yeah, huh? yeah, and I know a lot of people talk about Klaus Schwab, but um, but this guy is is higher up on the chain of him. I don't think that he is the final final boss. I think I think the real people pulling the strings, you don't get to see them. They mm. are a, a a small selection of actors that um, are um, tricky to tricky to go into. Mm. Um, but um, let's listen to what, what this guy um, has to say. And, and you, you, you hear how chilling this is. Oh, no, no. Can we, can we play the video, John? So before we go into that, can we play the video from the, um, from the tweet? That is very dark. Yes, I mean, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too, uh, too low and too base. But if you, if you look at that chap, I mean, he's literally like this, almost the stereotype of the fat cat. Yes, you know, it's, it's the toad from Danger Mouse, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember that one, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, there he is talking about the fact that you know, at the moment, people can use cash to make payments between them, and the central bank can't control it. Yeah, they want a system where they can control absolutely everything, and the key point at the end. They can regulate it, control it. So they mm. don't want you making purchases to certain places, yeah. or they do want you spending your money in a way they they can just basically go in and edit it for you. They can mm. make purchases for you. They can they can take your taxes from you. They can block you from doing certain things. And and a system this broken, falling apart this fast, mm. where does this go? Well, they're very clear on where it goes next, which yeah. is total digital control, total mm. communism. Digital communism. I mean, for your money, do you, as an economist, do you, do you think that CBDCs are basically inevitable at this point? Um, if they can get away with it, mm. yeah. I mean, it's, it is too attractive not to try. It's it's the I mean, it's the golden ticket, isn't it? It's the prize yeah. of all of this. Their, yeah. their ideology, the way they think, the kind of mm. the rationalism, the managerialism, yeah. it the the sort of it all all roads lead to CBDCs. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit like the first so. segment. If if they get their total control mm. if they get their way they will have us all living in monitored smart cities mm. where we have to interact with the government all times through an app yeah. to report on our progress and, yeah. and what we're yeah. doing and where we are and we'll be using a central bank mm. so there's no question they want that 
The question is, is will we let them get away with it? Mm. Which is why I do what I do. It's because I don't yes. want people to, to let them get away with it and I want people to push back against this stuff, mm. which, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to do. Absolutely. Right, so should we go into the comments? I think we've got some lovely video comments coming up. Sophie has sent us some um, art projects. of um, some puppets listening to us, which is very sensible. <laughs> the puppet is bowing and waving. You should get in touch with the exhibition guys, because I'm sure they'd love to, have your, love to have your stuff at the next one. That's the other thing, you know, for, for any artists out there, you should get in touch with uh, Farrell or Alexander Adams or any of the other guys. Um, yes, well, they're, they're very keen. approachable, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, well, they are, yeah, and they're very keen to have, you know, more more artists, bigger, better, and so on. So, well, there you go, yeah. Sophie. Get in touch with uh, with Alex. Yes. Um, do we... There's a surprise. Is it ended, General? Oh, I, I, I will, yeah, we'll audio. Yeah, I mean, California, it's just collapsing head yeah. over heels, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, 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 it's tumbling. I mean, I know that, I know that guy describes himself as a Californian refugee, so mm. hopefully he's already got out. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, so let's have a look at the, the written comments. So, uh, Ron Swanson says... Dan, can you shout out the P.O. Box again? I want to send you a CD of my band's um, album. Oh, fantastic CDs. Um, I remember those. So, yes, you can. <laughs> Indeed, the P.O. Box address is um, Lotus Eaters, P.O. Box 4354, Swindon, SN39FX. So, um Thank you in advance for the CD. Um, you could also, I suppose, send us a Google Drive link or something like that. Um, Physical media is nice, though. Yes, I just don't know if I've got a CD player. Or oh, have a look in the car. Yes, mm. yes, yes. So I can listen to it. That's brilliant. Right, so um, um, Baron von Warhawk says, I must admit, I never expected the Dutch of all people to have their own version of Tiananmen Square. But then again, socialist-leaning governments tend to be quite fond of killing their own citizens. Yes, true. yes, it always gets there, doesn't it? Mm. Sophie with the with the puppets. Mm. Uh, she says, um, "Just a reminder: one of the biggest wheat exporters in all of Europe is Ukraine, and they are not exporting a lot of uh, a lot these days because of war." Yeah, and the Netherlands, of course, the biggest European agriculture exporter, uh, and and they are globally second only to the uh, US um, by emergency food, folks. Yes, yes. So so, so this is the problem. So I think. Russia and Ukraine collectively are by far the biggest exporters of wheat, mm. wheat and um, fertilizer. Mm. That fertilizer isn't going out either, so that means all the third world um, crop yields are going to be significantly down because mm. fertilizer is still being produced, but it's just being bought up by all the rich countries instead. 
So, you know, Germany and, you know, France and UK, we're going to be okay. We're going to get the fertilizer that we need. We're just going to end up paying up for it because farmers are going to get screwed all over sure. again. But the third world countries, they're going to see their um, their crop yields um, plummet. And typically what you tend to see in these countries is they, they, they run their population right up to the to the maximum of a good year. Um, and then when the and when the yields drop off, mm. um, all of a sudden they can't feed people, um, and and then that tends to lead people turning up in boats and ending up in hotels. Yeah. in Swindon. Yeah, or indeed Southwest Wales, where I was the yes. other week, tiny yes. little town where they're having. This is Glenethry, I think is how you pronounce it. Yes. Um, several hundred of those types mm. being put in a hotel in their in their town. Voice of Wales are doing some really good coverage of that, so I'd encourage viewers to go check that out. But, yeah. you know, it's just all of this stuff coming together at once, isn't it? It's the money, it's the it's the food, you know, all of this stuff is just collapsing yes. beneath us. And, you know, sure, it's only a... Yeah. Oh, a, a Voice of Wales are on tomorrow, I'm told, so... Oh, brilliant, okay. That. Excellent. Um, yeah, all of this stuff is all sort of collapsing in at the same time, so... Yeah, yeah. It, you almost sort of wonder if it's... If it is it if it's planned or they're just spontaneously this incompetent and evil at the same time. Mm. I, t- I tend to think of it as some combination of the two. Yes. You know, I refuse to believe that it's all planned, but yes. I also refuse to believe that it's all just some crazy coincidence. Yeah. You know. Yeah. A, g- a good a good blender sounds about right. Yeah. Right. So uh, Jan says, if you scroll down on the documents on the Smart Cities EU, we'll find a list of cities in associated countries which include the EU, sorry, the UK, and and the cities of Bristol and Glasgow. Mm. Uh, yes, yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Hill says, "God bless those Dutch farmers." Yeah, oh, quite, couldn't quite, agree more. Quite I do just that. want to say on on the Dutch farmers and you know the whole sort of attack on on the agriculture industry that we're seeing. I think there's there's good there's a certain amount of symbolism that we should take from that. And because I, I think of farming as a profession being sort of one of the more if you want sort of traditional professions yes. you can have yes, you know it's base. very yeah exactly yes. but it's very very attached to I mean, if you're working with your hands all people day, in place right? and, yeah, yeah it's very it's you know it's it's you're attached to the land itself yes. and you know i don't think you know if you, if you read Rudyard kipling's poem the land for example yes. you know i think that sense really comes through where they're you know this attachment to the land it turns some you know it makes you again it's a sentimental attachment to the place you're in yeah and the and the people that are opposing the dutch farmers and who are you know the, the kind of bureaucrats that we're talking about they hate that kind of sentimental attachment well they don't they don't understand i mean food i mean they they, mm. they just think okay well what what does it matter if you close down the farms mm. you get your food from the shops so <laughs> it's it, it, yeah it's how these people work but yeah, yeah no and 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 i really like the um that Jeremy Clarkson um, series where mm. he where he goes out. On the oh, farm. that's excellent! Yeah, Clarkson's yeah. farm. Yeah, it's really and, good. And and he and he says, you know, this is the most fulfilled he's ever been. Yeah, and the other thing is, if you look at the people that he's surrounded by in that yeah. show, very, you know, I, I forget the guy's name. His he's the guy who sort of helps him out with everything. Yeah. Something like well, at the time of the filming of the show had never Caleb. That's right. Yeah. Um, had never been to London. You yeah. know, somebody who's just very very attached to the place he was in. Yeah. And and I think there's something really beautiful about I, that. I, I bet you could dig up a 9,000-year-old body on, on the bit of land and then yeah. DNA test um, Callum yeah. and, and, and you would fight Caleb and then you would find that there's like a, a direct yeah. sort of... they'd look you know, exactly match. the same. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I can believe... I mean, it probably helps in Clarkson's case that he went into it rich so he doesn't have the, well, the pressures that a normal farmer would have. That's definitely have. true, yeah. But I can well believe that it is one of the most rewarding, oh, you know, satisfying jobs absolutely. you can do. Yeah. Right, um... Sophie says, as we all know, it takes a man to be a real woman. Well, we, we, we can say that the tranny was ranked now because we're not on YouTube anymore. So, so yes, we, we, we're free on that. Oh, we got a Dutchman. Right. So uh, Jerome van Klakeran says, Dutchman here. The left doesn't burn, uh, the left doesn't burn down anything, uh, but the police are 
uh, way more mild rhythm. Mm. Um, luckily, the government has fallen and the prime minister is not running again, so there's a small hope of change if they don't fortify the elections. It all comes down to that, doesn't it? Is yeah. Whether they fortify those elections or not. I mean, Indeed. Yeah. Um, X, Y, and Z says, on paper, smart cities are a good idea. Imagine going to the city and your GPS could take you to an available car space near your destination just as it opens up. No more wasting time and fuel. Um, uh, yeah, but but the globalist uh, overlords uh, just have to be assholes and, and duck it up. Yeah, but well, you know it's going to be a, a mechanism of control and, yeah. and, and basically um, clamping down. Well, another thing I saw recently was, um, was it the EU or someone like that? They were basically mm. saying to Twitter... Um, you must remove people who speak out against us or we will shut you down. Doesn't surprise me. So it's it, again, it's just total regime control at yes. every level to make sure that um, you know pe- people can't question any of this. Mm. Well, this is the thing. I think something that there's a tendency, certainly among the right, to just almost go full Luddite um, because yeah. these technologies are being used by, in Schmittian terms, our enemies at the moment. But I think it's really important to remember, as this commenter points out, that actually technology is not a bad thing in and of itself. Technology is just a tool. It's just whose hands it's in. Yeah. And right now it's in the hands of people who hate you, hate us. And so yeah, on. I'm, I'm, I'm actually in the process of, of starting to write a speech on this that mm. I'm hoping to give later in the year, which basically makes this point, which is we, we, we can't retreat on this stuff. Mm. It, it, it's related to, to you know entropy. You know, we, we've, we've got to keep moving through the system. Mm. We've got to adopt things when they come up. So one of the things that the right did very, very well early on was it embraced all this stuff, which is mm. you know um, you know podcasting and yeah, and, and um, you know the video content, and we absolutely dominated this yes. until the thumb was firmly pressed down on the scale. Yeah. You know, the Young Turks got given millions from YouTube mm. in order to build up a studio um, yeah. and 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 do all of their stuff, and 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 then we started getting censored and stuff. But the point is, we embraced it first and we dominated it. And yeah. I think it has to be more of that. We need to sort of lead into it, and hopefully, the next round of technologies, things like Web three, mm. will allow us to be. Um, to not be so censorable as we have been. Mm. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. I think we need to we need to move forward. Uh, let's do a couple more from this segment before we, we move on. So, so Mr. Butcher says, see, this is one reason why I'm not fully on board with proportional representation. I really don't see a huge difference uh, whatever way the elites will often close ranks to keep the commoners out. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully that's not going to case, be the case in, in, in Holland, but I suppose we, we, we wait and see what happens with the elections there. I do wonder how, if and how the the uh, the BBB will be contained. Well, there are definitely people working on it, aren't there? Mm, the yeah, people no in the doubt. back room thinking. And and uh, normally the way they contain them is somebody like Rudd would have gone to them and said, um, "I'll tell you, what, why don't we form a coalition with you, mm. and then you'll get ministerial cars and you'll yeah. get salaries yeah. and all the rest of it, and you basically and entice expenses. them in with money." Yeah. That's that's normally how the system does it. Yeah, and I must admit, I mean, you know, as much as that is a victory, and as much yeah. as it's heartening to see, the lead the leader is like a journalist, right, of that party. Yeah, I seem to recall not actually one of the farmers, which I that rings alarm bells in my head, frankly. Yeah, I don't know what her background is. Maybe she yeah. grew up on a farm. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't. Know, I don't yeah. know. But I'm just. I'm just. You know, I just think it's yeah worth, worth mentioning. Going on past experience, mm. they will be bought in and paid off somehow. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe well, we can, we can only hope they have the fortitude yes. to resist that sort of yes. thing. Uh, Miss Rat says, I don't know about the UK, but in the US already has distributed police resources based on statistical analysis. Then the SJW started complaining about uh, primarily minority neighbourhoods being over-policed, skewing the statistics. Good luck with that one. Yeah, so that has actually been the big pushback to the smart cities mm. is that um, uh, if, if, you, if you take the benefits, it kind of leads you back to where policing was 10, 15 years yeah, ago, sure. and they really don't like that. No. 
And um, uh, Sophie pops in one more time to say, we are facing the same energy crisis. Let's build smart cities that run on energy. Yep. Again, basing everything on, on Ethernet connections and technology seems to be a flaw ingrained into it. Mm. Yes, that's fair. Uh, do you want to do, do, do your section? Yeah, yeah. So we've got Ross Diggle says, uh, that's the problem with modern art. It's about preaching to elites and their propaganda, not about inspiring the soul and thoughts of the viewer. Art needs to call out to people who aren't just art critics. I agree. Yeah, yeah. no, I definitely agree. Um, well, that's why I liked it, because I, I looked at that stuff and thought, yeah, I... I I'd quite like some of those mm. without knowing anything about art. Yeah. Well, let's think, you know, because it wasn't, fundamentally, it was not a political message that was there. Obviously, the art had a yes. message because it's because it's art. But the art was first and foremost, um, the, the message was first and foremost yeah. spiritual, I think, instead yes. of merely political. Yeah. Um, but, it, but, it, but it speaks to people who happen to be right wing. Yes. Well, mm. and yeah. yeah mm. But that's because uh, we are the only people who do have actually any sort of, I would argue, any kind of spiritual sense yes. in that way. Yeah. Um, People, uh, so Sophie Liv says people are honestly hungry for good art just things that are objectively good and you can enjoy the beauty of without having to understand it that's true and that's the other mm. thing you know if you go to somewhere like the Tate Modern there are pieces in there that are actively and intentionally ugly and horrible to look at I think to an extent there is a place for that but in, in somewhere like the Tate Modern it's there's almost a certain there's a sense that, that the artist is doing it to humiliate you as the as the as the observer whereas you know um the stuff at the exhibition was aesthetically or just on a purely aesthetic level fantastic of fantastic quality yeah the only the only art piece that i've saw the only modern art piece that i've ever seen that mm. i i thought was was connected to me in some way although it was really dark actually it was mm. a japanese artist and what he did is he built this this robot yeah, I, I know the one you're talking oh, about. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll describe it. He built, he, he built this robot, and basically it had a whole load of hydraulic fluid mm. in it that leaks out constantly, mm. and it needs to keep using this scraper thing to pull like the hydraulic fluid it, yeah. Yeah, back into itself yeah. to keep itself alive. And early on, um, you know, it had lots of energy, and mm. it was waving to the crowd, and it was doing stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I think that. it had like, all, like voice lines that it would do yeah. as well. Yeah, and he was quite enthusiastic, and now it's been running for like five or six years, mm. and it's and it's struggling to get just the minimum mm. of hydraulic fluid back into it, and it's wearing down, yeah. and it's desperately trying to survive, Yeah, and it's going to die. And mm. it's like, that's a bit dark. It is dark. I, I like that, though. Yeah. yeah. It's a good, I think it's quite a good piece. It was, it's, it just, was, it's very inventive. I think. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was clever, but mm. I wouldn't... I don't think I'd, I'd clear out the living room to well, no, put that no, in. Indeed. Yeah. Um, Stanley West says, what an astonishing moment when even artists get tired of so-called activism. What a win for humanity overall. Yeah, mm. well, that's the thing. You know, artists, yeah, they can have their causes and they can have their, you know, they, they should have their cause and they should have their beliefs. But when the art itself is literally just a thinly veiled political, you know, uh, propaganda attempt, whereas it's not art at that point anymore, right? It's just, it's yeah. just an exercise in politics. Yeah. Um, Maria Manzi says the Tate Modern and the art that is displayed is not totally without merits each piece has to be judged on its individual merits I rather like the Tate Modern as much as the Tate sadly the communist political vanguard has also has captured both of these institutions much like our museums that's right yeah mm. no I mean Alexander Adams's artivism talks a lot about the, the capture of the museums by these forces um and um yeah I mean I'm not obviously I don't I'm not going to sit here and say because again I'm not an art critic yes. at all i'm not going to sit here and say that everything in the tape modern is rubbish because that's probably not the case because there will be people who work very hard on their art and it's probably very good i'm just yeah. saying as a symbol and as a kind of um you know the general feeling of the place is very much that it is a, a house of propaganda yes <clears throat> um 
JJHW says modern art is just a money laundering operation. And I think there's probably certainly an amount of truth to that. Yeah, it's um, probably often true, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe Hunter Biden might be an example of this. You know, had his art value. Yes, not only is he an enormously successful energy executive, mm. he's also a, uh, a, a, an artist. Yeah, one apparently. of the foremost artists of our time, Hunter yeah. Biden. I don't Extraordinary. Know. Yeah. Oh, look, there it is. Oh, yeah, John, that's John this found the one. It. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's play this. Yeah, so there it is. Just so this is, I think it's towards the end of its life now. It's basically just, um, yeah. Let, let's leave the audio. Yeah. Up. But I, 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 don't know if that was. was this looks like towards the start of its life. Quite, it's always quite. Yeah, because it's it's being quite expressive. Yeah. Um, at this stage, so so yeah, we we got that robot that I was uh, talking about. If you're listening, but um, mm. um, yeah, frolicking around, waving to the crowd, yeah. being very graceful. Um, and so on, and then I think um, if there's if if you know if you, if you see it later on, um, it is it is um, really struggling to survive. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think this is all from it's 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, there you go. So yeah. That's it. Bringing in the fluid. Bringing in the hydraulic fluid to to try and survive, and, and where it is now is yeah. it's, um, it's really struggling. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Desert Rat says uh, the Tate Modern Museum is a post-apocalyptic industrial complex. Good to know. Yeah, about sums it up, I would say. Oh right, so let's uh, let's do a couple from uh, round out with the house prices. So a- Andrew Narrow says, as a recent home buyer, I can confirm the the housing market is definitely screwed. So much worse off since before the times pre uh, two thousand and twenty one. Still better to own than rent. I appreciate all your work, Dan. And as so many have has said, you make economics understandable. Wonderful having Charlie Downs on as well. Would love to have him on again soon. Well, hopefully that's, that will be the case. Yeah, yes, that's that, very kind. Uh, thank you. Uh, absolutely. So, um, well, thank you for your, all your all your compliments there. And everyone, and congratulations for becoming a, a house owner as well. Mm. So, um, you know, be careful of that leverage. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing like having your own. Uh, Stanley West says, this is actually my current dissertation. Oh, good. Mm. Uh, the government underplay the importance of macroeconomic stability at all times. It is crazy to think they are sane and clear-headed. Inflation, budget deficits, current account deficits, and unemployment are through the roof because of stupid government policies in COVID time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, t- when you finish that def- dissertation, um, you know, feel free to ping a, pick mm. a copy over to me and I'll, I'll, I'll have a read of that. And I hope it gets marked as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, hopefully it does. Mm. Um, we do, I don't know if he sent it in for marking or whether he's just starting it or something. I, I, I don't know how that works, but um, but but yeah, um, they they just have no regard for stability. It is it's just whatever suits them that week. Yeah. Um, to get them out of a political hole because the they run the economy on a political time scale, which yeah. is basically a few weeks to months. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not helped by the short termism that democracy encourages anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, e- e- even if they were being for themselves long term, that would mean four mm. years. Yeah. Whereas an economic cycle is is like eight to twelve, yeah. So it's 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 no wonder the bloody thing doesn't work. Mm. Um, Wuhan wet market says, American house buy here. Where I live, you can get a three bed, two bath house for a little over a hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Really? Must be nice. Where the hell do you live? Uh, not a new house, but a decent one. Probably a couple of problems, and built in the nineteen fifties or seventies. For reference, this is uh, southeastern New Mexico. Oh, and West Texas Panhandle. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. But I know the the Americans they use a lot more wooden construction, so I don't know whether whether fifties and seventies holds up as well. Because I know houses built in the UK basically last forever because they're sort of brick mm. all the way through. And I know the, the Americans use a lot more wood, but I mean presumably the fifties and seventies houses are still good. But mm. um, 
Interesting. Okay, so Yankee Doodle Demon says, Dan, the current US house market is reminiscent of the late 70s. Interest rates at 13%. And the devastating Community Reinvestment Act of 1977 came into existence. That same fetid legislation was the first signpost of the 2008 crisis. As a current homeowner, if I had to move my house, choices are significantly reduced in the current market. What a stark contrast from five years ago. Yeah, so this is the thing. Because the Americans, they do their 30-year mortgages. Yeah. If you then get a, a much better job offer, but you know, uh, involves moving halfway across the country or like that, mm. you're not going to give up a 30-year fixed at below 3%. For something at seven point seven percent, unless you are getting an absolute monster pay rise, yeah, you'd have to be doing and pretty well. <laughs> you're absolutely certain that you're not going to lose that job because yeah. the last thing you want to do is move over there, lose your previous deal, get a new job, and and sometimes this does ha- does happen. Then you get fired, or you don't get through your probation, mm. or, or however they do it in the US, and then you're suddenly faced with this, and you just you just absolutely destroyed at that yeah. point. So that's going to lower labour mobility, which is going to again add friction to the economy, mm. which is going to make it harder for them to come out the other side of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. Silver says, I recall when it was the best numbers of our lives under Trump. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, he did run up debt as well, but he's not as, he was nowhere near as as, as utterly incompetent as, as, as this going on. And while the government spending wasn't being brought down fast enough, they were at least generating more wealth to help pay it off. Under Biden, there's both less wealth and more spending. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to be too kind about Trump when it comes to economics because... Um, a, a degree of it was um, a, a, a bit of hype and, and, and money printing, but I mean, mm. it was it was leagues and leagues better yeah. than, than what Biden is doing. So, yeah. so Trump should have been a lot more aggressive on bringing down spending, which he kind of let. So he let it rise, but he, not as much as, as perhaps it could have risen. Um, but um, but yeah, the Biden is just spectacular. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's probably like trying to stop a tidal wave, you know, yeah, with just your hands, isn't it? You know, he probably, he probably, well, who knows? Who knows how much credit we want? Yeah, very he probably did the best he could. Yeah, very difficult to do in a, yeah. in a democracy, bring this stuff down. Mm. Right, um, uh, we've got uh, Miss, Miss Desert Rat says, the housing bubble burst causing more people to go upside down on their home loans, meaning the value of homes will fall um, lower than what is owed on the loan. Yeah, and, and when when you start getting the forced sellers, then it will start, then the housing market will really start to, mm. start to tip on this one. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, also from uh, Miss Rat says, I truly believe the next depression in the US will occur as a slow slump caused by the government and private debt. I'm appalled about the amount of debt people are taking on. Yeah, and, and the government on your behalf as well. I mean, the um, government debt per taxpayer, I think, is, is a quarter of a million. Right. So if you're a US taxpayer, you're, you're automatically in debt of a quarter of a million just just because the, that's your share of what the government yeah. is. And that's not including all those other liabilities that I mentioned. Mm. Uh, you misspoke, Dan. London isn't on fire yet. Um, bring enough boat people over, and perhaps that may change. Until then, I guess Londoners can enjoy the knife crime. Yeah. Oh, did you see that tweet from Sadiq Khan um, yesterday about uh, about knife crime? Uh, no, I must have missed that. So I saw his one saying that London was uh, built on immigration, which is yeah. So so amazing. what Sadiq Khan said is that you can't arrest your way out of a crime problem. We need to deal. Sorry, with- what is the solution then? He said we need to deal with the knives. So it's not arresting the criminals. That doesn't help. You need to go after the cutlery. Well, that's literally the same argument as, you know, mass shootings are caused by guns. Yes. Right? It's the same argument, but it's even more absurd with knives. Yes. And that's insane. Do you you ever see the kitchen knife just sitting on the side there and think, ooh, I might go out on the stab tonight? 
the 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 comparison that I gave mm. was El Salvador. You've probably mm. seen how El Salvador oh, yes. has behaved. So so El Salvador's bu- built these mega prisons. They've arrested thousands and thousands of gang mm. members. They haven't gone out and arrested knives and guns. No, they've gone out and arrested the crime people. Yes, people perpetrators. Yes, and yes. And, and now um, crime has plummeted, and mm. Bukele has a ninety percent approval rating. Very good. Yes, yeah, very, very sensible. Um, Mr. Power says. Referring to last week, you could have just said the Americans have a spending problem and therefore independence from Great Britain has been rescinded. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, actually, when you put it like that, I wouldn't really want to get them back if, it, if they brought the debt with yeah, them. Yeah, do you want to inherit those problems? Yeah, that, that's God. a bit like marrying a woman who's, who's in a lot of debt. You yeah. wouldn't want to do that. Um, but it's not like the realm is doing any better as far as being um, fiducially responsible. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, um, I, I spent some time working in India and. and um, all the guys there were saying, "Oh, we want to be run by the British again." Hmm. Yeah, because their government was so corrupt. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're imagining the the government that we had in like the eighteen fifties. Several hundred years ago, yeah, yeah. I I wish we had them as well. As do I. But yeah, uh, yeah we we don't. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, honourable mentions. Uh, o Punk says, "Ask ask them about their favourite artists." Oh, Johnny Cash. So that's easy. What's your favourite Music artist? Musicians. Um, well, he just said artists, and I, I don't know about art art. So. Yeah. Uh, I really like Oasis and Kaiser Chiefs. And right. um, a few years back, I was really into... Like, MF Doom used to be my favourite. you familiar with him? No. Hip-hop artist. No. I'm not so into hip-hop anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, MF Doom is still up there because he's excellent. Those would be and, my top And do you three. have a favourite art artist? Um, uh, Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sophie says uh, dudes love the new beauty standards um, now I'm in easy 10 I don't have to do anything I'm worthy of Miss Universe it's great give me my crown <laughs> yes well oh now actually we're not on YouTube so I can say yes yes, yes. being being a woman is um, yes yeah the right start um, somebody says uh, Thomas something Dan are you buying silver at the moment um, well I spent 20 years as a gold bug so I, I, I may have accumulated a little bit of gold and silver, uh, but I did lose most of it in a boating accident, um, Mr. Taxman. So, um, so, that, so that's unfortunate. But yeah, I, I am that's a big a, fan That's a terrible that. shame, that. Yeah, but yeah. At, at, at the moment, I, I also like um, Bitcoin, obviously, because mm. it's another thing that you can have and the government can't take from you sure. unless you give them um, your, your private key. Um, somebody says, well, this has been heavily redacted, I still want a history of the WEF. Yes. Yes, I should, I, should do that. I should do that as a broken. Yes, I should do that as a brokenomics because mm. it is it is quite interesting actually. Because basically, uh, Charles Swab. Oh uh, no, not Charles Swab. Klaus. Klaus Swab. Mm. So he's this middle-ranked, thirty-two-year-old economics professor, mm. um, and then he starts a forum to talk about economics, and the following year, world leaders start turning up. Weird. Yeah, yeah. and you got to think, is that really organic? Mm. Or is there something else behind that? Yeah. It's very interesting. I don't know anything about this, so it'd yeah. be really interesting. Well, I don't actually know the answer. Mm. So Yeah. Yeah. So I could I could speculate, but I'd I'd get in trouble. Right. Um Lady Fifty says, um, who does Dan recommend not buying gold from? Ah, actually, um stay um paying attention and we might have some gold recommendations coming up in the not too distant future. And um Don replies, um, get them to guess who the guilty nonce is. <laughs> Oh yes, well that's going to get us sued, isn't it? Yeah, that's a great idea. I, 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 I don't know who it is. It could be any of them. Yes. yes. Yeah, and I wouldn't probably be that surprised. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
somebody says uh, Dan covered the US housing market but what does he predict the U UK house market is as we uh, do have a shortage of stock do you think we're going to crash yeah that, that, that that's what I sort of mentioned about the um this, this stuff about the the UK market is weak because basically people just just don't sell and and we and you, like you say we have got a, a shortage of supply so mm. that that could be an issue and i think we are starting to run out so i will basically wrap it up there and say thank you very much thank you charlie for coming on cheers dan and um, cheerio people see you next time you can find me at cfdowns underscore on twitter and my website is cfdowns.uk where you can find all of my work good